Hi, I'm Scott. And I'm Jason. Welcome to Skipped on Shuffle, a podcast where we delve into an overlooked song by a popular artist. Today, we're going to be talking about the Corinne Bailey Ray song, Love's On Its Way, from the 2010 album, The Sea. I'm not sure if most people like me will hear the name Corinne Bailey Ray and all they think of is the pop song, Put Your Records On, which is when Scott suggested doing this episode, I was like, that's my perception of who this person, like I literally know nothing else beyond. There was this girl kind of young, had this cool, catchy pop song that was good, but you know, there was nothing I, I think about at least that one song that grabbed me beyond like, oh, this is a nice, upbeat, fun song to listen to. Okay, on to, you know, listening to whatever else. It it wasn't like a negative thing. It was just, I, I don't know. It didn't have anything else there for me. Yeah, I think I think a lot of people kind of have the same perception of Corinne Bailey Ray because um, she, she's, she's got... Her, her catalog is very diverse and that's something that you've probably discovered now that you've been listening yeah, to her yeah, a certainly. little bit more is that she's got a very diverse catalog. So it's, it's difficult to sort of pigeonhole her, you know, like if you've got like a traditional pop star, like somebody like, I, I don't know, like Lady Gaga, you know, like who's very traditional, like this is a pop star. I make pop music. I wear flashy outfits. I do crazy things. I'm a pop star. Corinne Bailey Ray is definitely not that. And so it's a little harder to like market her. You know, she's kind of like a film that's a mixture of comedy and drama and horror. You know, it's like the, <laughs> the marketing team is like, what do we do with this? Like who, who do we sell this to? And I feel like that's kind of a, 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 a thing that kind of keeps Corinne Bailey Ray from ascending from, you know, well-regarded, well-liked pop artist to something higher than that, you know? And I think mm. that, that, that that's unfortunate, but at the same time, you know, it's also her biggest strength is the fact that, you know, you can give it to anybody. I, I feel like I could give, I could give Corinne Bailey Ray's discography to anyone and they would be, and somebody's going to find something that they really like there. I don't care if you only listen to country music, if you only listen to rap music, if you only listen to rock, whatever, you're going to find something in Corinne Bailey Ray's catalog that, that you'll attach to. And that's a real great strength. But like I just said, it's also very difficult for, for people just to like discover it, you know? Yeah, no, it's, it's just so funny. The disconnect between, you know, what you know of someone from, you know, the radio and the radio hits versus when you actually sit down and listen to, yeah, even, even just a single record or, you know, in Corinne Bailey Ray's case, you know, there's only a few albums, but they sound very, very different from, one another. And yeah, it's not something you get because, you know, the record company hears it and they're like, okay, we'll take the, you know, poppiest, most upbeat song most of the time, unless you have, you know, some ballad on there maybe or, or something, you know, and, and that's what people is. And especially once you already have a hit and people know your name and they're like, okay, do that again <laughs> and <laughs> make it slightly different and do that again. I, I feel, yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think that just kind of happens to people. And as, as you know, unfortunately, with 
Corinne Bailey Ray. And again, maybe I'm not speaking for most people, but in my perception of things, that's kind of just unfortunately what happened until Scott was like, no, you need to listen to, <laughs> you need to listen to this stuff. And I'm like, okay, okay, I will. <laughs> Corinne Jacqueline Bailey was born in the English city of Leeds in 1979. Her father is from a small Commonwealth island in the West Indies called St. Kitts, while her mother is from the UK. When she was young, she studied classical violin at school and also sang with her church. She has joked that people tend to think she must have been singing gospel music. She says, quote, I started off singing in church, I suppose, but people think it must have been a gospel church because of the whole, you know, black assumption. Here, she is referencing her multiracial background. Her heritage has been confusing for the press as well as her own self-identity. Although she prefers to refer to herself as brown, she admits that most are more comfortable calling her black. She once said, quote, At first we were brown, and then we were half-caste, and then mixed race, and then dual heritage, and then it was okay to just be black. I feel like I don't really have a term if I'm really honest. That's why I say brown in like an almost silly way as it's almost like I've been labeled so many different things in the past that none of them feel familiar or satisfying. While singing with her church, Bailey and her friends would cover rock songs, but change the words to make them more appropriate for church settings. It was around this time that she started focusing more on singing and rock music rather than on violin. Eventually, her church youth group leader loaned her money so she could buy her first guitar. In 2000, Bailey graduated from the University of Leeds. During her time there, she had worked as a hostess at a local jazz club. There, she met saxophonist Jason Ray. In 2001, at the age of 22, she and Jason married, and she formally changed her name to Corinne Bailey Ray. Prior to her marriage, Bailey Ray had been in an indie rock group called Helen. Although that group failed to find success, it inspired her to start crafting her own music. She consciously chose to work on more of a soulful sound, very unlike what she had done with her previous group. Through her self-written demos and working with other Leeds-based groups, Bailey Ray got her big break when she signed with a talent agency in 2004 when she was just 25 years old. This agency helped her collaborate with more famous artists and, in 2005, land her first solo record contract. In late 2005, Bailey Ray released her first major single called Like a Star. Check it out here. Just like a star across my sky Just like an angel Like a Star was an unexpected hit, selling over 300,000 downloads in the U.S. This propelled the momentum for her first full-length album. 
In February 2006, Bailey Ray's self-titled debut landed to immediate and overwhelming success. It went straight to number one in the UK and the top 10 on the Billboard 200 chart. The album's success only continued when the second single from the record landed, called Put Your Records On. That song became Bailey Ray's biggest hit to date and propelled her into the mainstream spotlight both in her native UK and the United States. Over the next two years, Bailey Ray toured the world, swept award shows, and watched as her album continued to be a big seller. Although it was nominated for multiple Grammys, she didn't win any for that record, unfortunately. However, after all of this, Bailey Ray's life and career came to a screeching halt on March 22, 2008. Jason Ray, her husband, was unfortunately found dead of an accidental overdose of methadone and alcohol. Bailey Ray retreated from the spotlight after the death of her husband. It would be nearly two years later that she would release her second album, titled The Sea, which is where we find today's song, Love's On Its Way. This record came nearly four years after the launch of her debut, so it was a much-anticipated release. That album's third single ended up being one of her most famous songs, which is called Closer. Check it out here. To give you up, I don't want to hold you up. I don't want ambiguous. I just know that I've had enough. I want you to travel with me, lay loose and let your mind go free. Show you things that you never see, but you just got to go. That song is super, super funky. I just love it so much. (laughs) (laughs) Although The Sea was quite successful, it failed to match the sales and critical acclaim of her debut. Still, her world tours were incredibly lucrative, and she continued to be a popular performer on talk shows and as a guest vocalist with other artists. About a year after she launched The Sea, Bailey Ray released an EP called The Love EP. On it, she covered five songs from five different artists, including Prince, Paul McCartney, Belly, and Bob Marley. The Bob Marley song, Is This Love, ended up winning her her first Grammy of her career for Best R&B Performance. Check that out here. After releasing the Love EP, Bailey Ray faded from the spotlight again. During this hiatus, she remarried. Her husband is her production partner, Steve Brown, and they now have two children. She didn't re-emerge musically until about five years later in 2016. 
she launched a new album called The Heart Speaks in Whispers and the lead single, Been to the Moon. Check that out here. The Heart Speaks in Whispers debuted at number two on the Billboard R&B charts. As usual, Bailey Ray embarked on a world tour to support the record, which was a big success. Once again, though, the album sales did not match the strength of her debut. Since then, Bailey Ray has released a few songs on film soundtracks, most notably a cover of Coldplay's The Scientist for the film Fifty Shades Darker. She also contributed to an all-female tribute to Tom Waits, singing the song Jersey Girl. We have Coldplay and Tom Waits episodes of Skipped on Shuffle, so we encourage you to check those out. For now, though, let's go back to 2010 and the launch of Bailey Ray's second album, The Sea, and the beautiful song from that record, Love's On Its Way. We hope you're enjoying this episode of Skipped on Shuffle. Right about now, in most podcasts, you'd be hearing an ad for something, uh, but we are trying to keep Skipped on Shuffle ad-free, and the way we're going to be able to do that is through Patreon. Please visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash skippedonshuffle. Any donations go to support the costs associated with running this podcast. When the day comes And I've counted all my sins How many I've seen I want to be able As Scott mentioned in the history, Corinne Bailey Ray's husband, Jason Ray, dies in the middle of recording this record. And I think you can, knowing that, I think you approach listening to this record very differently because some songs were written before that happened and she had to go back and finish the record. So some songs were written afterwards. So there's this very strange mix of moods on the record. So you have some like really upbeat, poppy, funky songs along with some downright sad songs and as one would expect. But it's kind of interesting um, thinking about the EP that comes afterwards, this collection of love songs, you know, Prince, Paul McCartney, Bob Marley, um, you know, people known for kind of like more upbeat stuff. And she also mentions at the time listening to people like Nina Simone, Curtis Mayfield, Sly and the Family Stone. And even I thought this was like super interesting. Leonard Cohen. Um, we do a Leonard Cohen record. He's, you know, this, this, the sad monk of folk. <laughs> <laughs> And it, and it's just interesting thinking about maybe the the directions just based on, you know, those covers and her mentioning those influences where clearly this was going to be some kind of 60s, 70s soul inspired record. It seems based on, you know, some of the those those musical influences. And it, it's just interesting to hear how this record 
comes together and just the the pull back and forth between that. I mean, the record is titled The Sea, and you can't help but get this feeling of, you know, this ebb and flow of tides and feelings and things of just like, you know, life is really great. Oh, suddenly life really sucks. And then, you know, clearly going through some period of, I would assume that the recording of this and, and finishing the record and finally putting it out must have been, you know, therapeutic in some way to like get through this time in your life to be like, okay, I started here with these songs and my life being this way. And finally, you know, I'm, I'm to the end of it and this is where I am now. And I kind of have this marker or this testament to like that, that time in my life. Yeah. And one of the songs on this record is called I Do It All Again. And according to Corinne Bailey Ray, that that song was actually written during an argument she had with her, her, her former husband who unfortunately passed away. So she wrote this song. Uh, this is a, according to her story, and I'm and I'm paraphrasing here. But she she they were in an argument. They kind of like did one of those classic like you know he shut the door to the bedroom and she shut the door to the bathroom and they kind of just were like you know go away do your thing we're fighting stay away from me I'm you know need some time and while while she was separated from him during this argument she she ended up writing the lyrics to this song called I do it all again. And the song is, is as the title would suggest is basically saying like, yeah, we're fighting. Yeah. You know, relationships go through these kinds of problems, but I would do this all again. Like the, you know, the, the, the good outweighs the bad. And so she was, she was writing this song and, and trying to take an argument that she had with her husband to like a positive place. She was like, I'm going to take this and make it creatively, you know, inspiring in some way. And then the husband dies, you know? So, I mean, like this record is just so layered with that kind of stuff because you can imagine a song called I Would Do It All Again about an argument that you have with your husband. How does the playing and the singing of a song like that change after the husband has died where I Would Do It All Again all of a sudden has a whole new layer of meaning to it, you know, where it's like, oh, now he's gone, you know, forever. (laughs) Like, so it's, it's it's a very interesting record to sort of like dive into because if you just listen to it and you don't know any of this stuff, you might just be like, wow, this record sounds kind of disjointed. Like, mm, yeah. you know, you've got these funky, cool, soulful, poppy songs like Closer. Then you have this other song like this and this other song like that. And you just be like, why is this record so bizarre like this? And then you get into it and you realize like this is like you're saying like this, you know, the sea metaphor She's like, it's really like flowing back and forth from all these different emotions that she experienced in this like very tumultuous, like two year period of her life where all sorts, I mean, she's, she's all of a sudden a superstar, you know, four years earlier, she wasn't, she was a nobody. And then, you know, then her husband dies and she's got to finish this record. The label's probably pounded on her door. Like, Hey, we yeah, understand we the, that your husband died. We need the follow up, but yeah, yeah. But we need the follow up. It's been four years and your debut is super strong. It's, it's like, you know, all this stuff. So, so the record is, is, is incredible. Incredibly interesting. The more you read about it and the more you learn about what she was going through at this time, the more interesting the record gets. And and I think that that makes it so satisfying. It's so, I don't know, for, for me and I know for, for, for you as well, Jason, I know that, that, that those kind of things like really make it like you know, the records that, you know, a band just goes into a studio and, and goes one, two, three, four and lays it yeah. down. Like 
those are fun, but it doesn't really have that depth to it that you don't, you know, you'd like to learn about what's going on, you know, and in a way, and I'm kind of rambling here, but I just want to sort of bring it back to this is that in a way it's kind of like looking at a painting, you know, like sometimes you look at a painting and you say to yourself like, oh, like this is a really nice, you know, landscape. There's some trees, there's some cows, that's beautiful, whatever. But then you read the plaque underneath the painting and it describes how like, you know, this was the, the the place that he used to come as a child and play with his mother and his mother died and he's really sad and he painted this as a remembrance of the time that she had. And all of a sudden, the painting has this new meaning to it. It's no longer just a landscape with some cows and some trees. It's something deeper like that. And that's like exactly what this record is for me anyway. The more I read about it, the more I hear from her about what she was going through at this time, the better the record gets. We talked about how diverse the sea is in terms of moods where you have these like upbeat and more downbeat songs, but also just in terms of the themes of these songs where you have really intense personal songs where Karim Bailey Ray is obviously like really digging into reflecting on this relationship and even, you know, what was going on while her husband was still alive since some of those songs were written previously. And she also goes in some different directions. And again, I think of just kind of the influence of uh, some of those like 60s, 70s R&B people think of people like Marvin Gaye, where she starts getting into these kind of political themes. And it's something that kind of surprised me a little bit. And it's something that's very much in love's on its way. And the, the, the best thing about the song is just this build I don't know exactly where we want to start with our discussion of this, but the song comes in basically the middle of the record and I feel kind of closes out the first half of the album. And I don't know, it's just this amazing swelling of emotion. And again, getting into the theme of, you know, the sea where it almost feels like this, you know, huge wave that's been building in the first half of the record and the song kind of takes on that shape um, before getting all, you know, super quiet at the end. I, I know Scott's going to talk about this and I, <laughs> I don't know if I'm doing a good job describing it, but it's just like you definitely feel like you're being like taken and lifted along as you go in the song. And it's just kind of a fun ride to be on, despite the seriousness of of what she's talking about in the song. Yeah. So I, I think we should I think we should start with 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 what the song is specifically about. So. Basically, Love's On Its Way is a reference to the idea that the work that you're doing now, politically or personally, towards a, a, a goal is, is, is affirmed by the idea that she's, she's kind of saying, like, love's on its way. The work you're doing is going to have a positive net impact on the world. But the song itself, lyrically, is... Before that, before you get to this point where she starts, you know, really sort of like belting out love's on its way, hope it won't be too late, you know, over and over again. Before that, it's it's a lot of questioning. So the song starts off very slow and quiet and sort of her running through her head. Am I doing enough politically? So there's 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 some uh, 
there's there's some lines here that are really kind of elaborate what I'm trying to say here. So when the day comes and I've counted all my sins, how many I'll see. I want to be able to say that I did more, more than pray. I did more than just spend my money, just writing letters, than just going out marching. I did more than talking and saying the right thing, wearing the right thing. It's time for an uprising. So she's basically kind of kind of like struggling with the idea. She's like, you know, the world is so chaotic and messed up and there's so much stuff going on and there's so many things that I want to see changed in my lifetime. And I'm already doing everything that I, you know, any reasonable person can be can be expected to do. She's 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 donating to the causes she believes in. She's writing letters to I'm assuming like, you know, people in power. She's going out marching. She's saying the right thing to people. She's wearing the right thing. She's trying to be the best person that she can be, but she still feels like that's not enough. It's not enough. And so now this this kind of resonates now. You you, you know, we're, we're obviously 2020 was was a time where where a lot of people were thinking these kinds of things. But this song was written 10 years ago. <laughs> like this is like it's it's really interesting how applicable this is to our time, you know, now and especially this past year. Yeah, and I think uh, that kind of goes along with and and it's kind of a theme that comes up in, you know, Marvin Gaye and Leonard Cohen and maybe that's kind of that influence here is this reflection on how things often don't change and how things like eerily stay the same. I mean, one thing that I always think about when I put on uh, Marvin Gaye's What's Going On is just like, it's been, I don't know how many years since the record came out, 40, 50 years now. And it's just like, sounds like it could have been written today. And I feel like that's kind of what this song does. And it makes me kind of wonder about what causes she was kind of thinking about, you know, 10 years ago, or maybe, you know, reflecting on or putting herself in, you know, a different time. Like maybe she's, you know, going back to, you know, 60s 70s you know she's already putting herself there you know musically maybe there were you know certain elements of that time that she's reflecting on you know civil rights or something for instance and you know thinking about what's going on there because she does get I I, I guess everything is more abstract as like I'm doing these things that we know that activists tend to do and she does mention in the first verse there's so much blood on the streets so much hope refused so much grainy teenage photographs on the evening news. So we have to assume she's talking about something, you know, fairly recent. And I don't think she's being abstract when she mentions those things. So I assume she's, you know, referring to something that, you know, she must have seen at some point in time. And I don't mean to make assumptions here with, you know, her being black. So connecting to, you know, civil rights and things, but that is kind of, I, I think where our mind sort of naturally goes when we think of, you know, seeing young people out protesting, you know, getting beaten, um, especially as, you know, an American, I think you kind of automatically, you know, think back to like footage of marching in the sixties. And so that's kind of just, you know, really powerful to think about. And especially in, you know, the, thinking about the context of this record where she's dealing with her own, personal loss that there's still a song on here. That's like, I'm suffering in my own way, but also the world is, you know, suffering and other people are as well. And I think that kind of goes along with, you know, am I doing enough is, you know, what, what should I be doing? So even though, you know, it seems to be a song that has like a political nature and it's kind of hard to, I, I think, not think of that with the song. It's also, 
you know, this idea of love's on its way is when when will I sort of feel whole or feel better again? When will I feel like my own world is set right? Or when will, you know, the, when will I feel like the world has improved? Like when, when is that happening? And I think it's for being such a heavy song is also in its title optimistic, like love's on its way. Like things will get better. Like I, you know, it, it's not like a, a song that says this is never coming. It's got that kind of like low key optimism built in there. Like love's on its way. What's super interesting about what Jason was just talking about and how the song kind of has this 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 optimism to it while still being a very pretty heavy song lyrically, you know, with all of its content about, you know, protests and is she doing enough? Is any of us doing enough? That kind of thing. The song is structured in such a way that, and, and unfortunately here on Skipped on Shuffle for legal reasons, we still, we can't play the whole song from beginning to end. So I can't actually play it for you, but I can give you some, some descriptions. So the song starts off very quiet, very subtle, almost like a coffee shop kind of jazz kind of thing with a, a really great little, you know, the arrangement of the song is, is, is very quiet and and it kind of has this peaceful tranquility to it almost but then it starts building and it starts building up and and getting a little bit you know more intense as it goes on and then right towards the end this bass line drops out of nowhere and the song just gets huge the drums come in and there's all these synthesizers and there's lots of layering on her voice almost like this like queen kind of layering with all these different, you know, harmonies going on. And it's just, it's just gorgeous. It's amazing. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to play a quick clip here. This is right before that bass line drops and then into the bass line. So you can kind of get an idea of like what happens here that makes it so, so cool. So what you have here is you have a song that kind of goes along with its lyrical content. And this is this is like to me like prime songwriter stuff. You know, it's like the so- every aspect of the song connects itself to another part of the song. The lyrics sound one way and the music matches the lyrics and go in. Like this is 
It's it's that form content kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, exactly. This is like supreme, you know, songwriting. This is this is beyond just like you know four chords and and repeat the verse over and over again kind of thing. This is this is not Oasis. This is you know not you know I love Oasis, but you know this is this is another level of songwriting. This is super professional stuff, and it's just it's just incredible. But what what's really interesting to me is 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 to kind of bring it back to what she was thinking maybe before her husband died. And I think, I'm not sure if we mentioned this, but we, Jason and I theorized that this song was, was most likely written before the husband died. I, we, we can assume that after the husband died, she started writing more personal reflective songs, you know, after that intense, uh, you know, life changing moment. So, uh, and whereas this song is is not really connected to that in any way, we're going to go ahead and assume that this was written before then. But uh, what what what's really cool is that on the tour she was doing to, for her first record, she was covering a song by Led Zeppelin called "Since I've Been Loving You," and she dramatically changed the arrangement to that song. And the the way she does it is very similar to how this song does. So my theory is, is that she was, you know, covering this Led Zeppelin song in this cool arrangement that she had done where it kind of is slow coffee shop, kind of quiet. And then all of a sudden it gets really big and loud at the end. And she was like, that was really cool. I really liked doing that. What if I did something like that for myself? And I feel like that's kind of like how this song came about. So just as a quick thing here, I'm going to play you the quick clip. This is since I've been loving you by Led Zeppelin, her cover. This is right before that big entrance, so you can kind of see, uh, kind of hear uh, why I think these songs are kind of connected in that way. We've kind of talked about this thing before on Skipped on Shuffle. We did an episode on Seal and a song, Don't Make Me Wait, that we felt was inspired by Otis Redding's I've Been Loving You Too Long. So I feel like there is this thing where the people you admire and you listen to, you're like, I want to do that song, but I want to make it my own. So it's interesting that, you know, thinking of Since I've Been Loving You, this kind of sad, bluesy song, you know, being in a, kind of the blueprint at least for writing this political, like it just takes it in a totally different way while using, yeah, that same sort of structure. And yeah, it's, I feel like that's a really interesting cover and it's kind of another layer of what made Corinne Bailey Ray so interesting as a musical artist is that she's like this huge Led Zeppelin fan. (laughs) Like in addition, in addition to like all this other stuff, like just kind of, again, sitting down and listening to a record knowing like, Oh, this person like loves Led Zeppelin. And it just, again, it's these artists that do really interesting music where I feel like I can hear these elements in there, but it's not like directly derivative of anything like you can't be like oh she did this baseline because that baseline is in this other song like i couldn't think of anything similar to like that bass like just 
I don't know, zigzagging in there. <laughs> I don't I don't know like how to describe it's just so cool. And I feel like that's kind of really interesting and in listening to her music and listening to the song is just like, oh, it reminds me of a thing, but it's not exactly like that. And I think that's kind of one of the most complimentary things that you can say about most musical artists is it's like, well, it's kind of like this and kind of like that. And lyrics kind of remind me of this. And sometimes it kind of sounds like that, but it's she's just kind of a, as you mentioned at the top of the episode, Scott, it's just how do you market this? Cause it's just a unique entity. Like there's nobody else I've heard that's exactly like this or goes in as many different directions as she does. And, and, and the sea is really just a culmination of all that. As you probably gathered through this episode, Corinne Bailey Ray has really grown on me, and it's always fun to kind of incorporate something new into your listening habits. I feel like we've mentioned this before, but as you get older, you kind of find yourself falling into these ruts of just like, oh, I like this, and this is what I listen to. So it was nice to kind of have something to sort of freshen up my playlist with um, listening to Corinne Bailey Ray. And she's also made her way into... At at night sometimes with, you know, I have two young kids and sometimes you got to get them tired and they love to to <laughs> to run around. And so one thing that we uh, my wife and I do at night is we, we call it a dance party. So we'll put on like kind of like upbeat songs, sometimes Disney songs, sometimes just pop songs, stuff that we like. Uh, so I, I'm proud to say that Put Your Records On has made it into our our <laughs> dance party mix. <laughs> and it's just it's just kind of fun to like share that with, you know, young young kids to see like their reaction to this stuff, especially, you know, mixed in with like the Disney songs and stuff to because you got to listen to some other stuff in order to keep your sanity. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not saying that there aren't some fun Disney songs that I like, but, you know, I can't I can't tell you how many times in the past week I've listened to Under the Sea. <laughs> <laughs> And it's a it's it's fun, but I occasionally put your records on. Kind of mellows mellows me out and returns it's, me to. It's a nice a, chaser. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting how I got into Corinne Bailey Ray because it's similar to how I feel like a lot of people got into her, which is through her first record and the big hit "Put Your Records On." Except mine was a little different where, so I was working at a record store at the time when, when that first album came out and the record store would partner with the various labels and the labels would give you discounts and free stuff and whatever, you know, different perks. If you agreed to play a record in the store a certain amount of times each day. And the first Corinne Bailey Ray album was one of these records. So for, you know, a month or whatever it was, we had to play this Kareem Bailey Ray record in the store at least, you know, twice a day or something like that. The idea is, is that people come into the record store and they listen and they're walking around browsing the store and they say, Oh, well, this, this sounds really good. Hey, 
you know, shopkeep, <laughs> what is, what, what is this record playing? And then you say, oh, well, believe it or not, this is the debut album from crew and Bailey Ray. And then, you know, they buy it. So that's the whole idea. Anyway, you look at your notes, read your script. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, you know, this is, this is old day. So I don't even, they probably don't even do this anymore. Now there's, you know, barely any record stores and all the record stores that do exist are all independent. So they just play whatever they want. Um, but anyway, so this was, this is how it worked back in the day. And so I was forced to listen to this album a bunch. And you know, when you first find out, you know, uh, Mondays, you come in and they say, guess what? Here's the new record that we have to play all day. You're kind of grown because you know, like, it's like, this is something that they're trying to force upon you. But with the Corinne Bailey Ray album, you know, it grew on me very, very quickly. Like the first couple of songs, I was like, uh, this is pretty just generic pop stuff, whatever. But then the non-generic pop stuff started happening. The, there's a great, great song on there called Call Me When You Get This, which has this lush string section to it, which is just gorgeous. And I was like, whoa, this is this is awesome. You know, and, and then there's a couple other songs on there. Uh, like a Star is this very quiet beautiful song with just her and an acoustic guitar and just there's a lot of variation on the record that really you know drew me in and so so yeah so I kind of was like forced to be a Karun Bailey Ray fan because I was forced to listen to this record on repeat and and every time it came on I started to look more and more forward to it it started to be that I was like oh man why hasn't a Karun Bailey Ray song played in the last hour I really want to hear another one of those tunes so that's how I got into her um, and I liked it a lot, but at the same time, it was way overplayed. You know, I I was like, I don't want to listen to this record ever again, you know. But she released, uh, very quickly after she released that album, she released a live album, which has that Led Zeppelin cover on it. And then she plays the whole album live with this Led Zeppelin cover thrown in the middle. And the the, the CD had a free DVD with it of the concert. So, I mean, to me, that was like amazing. Cause you know, Jason and I, we, we mentioned this a bunch throughout all these episodes, but we, we love live music and we love, you know, live concerts and bootlegs and all these things that really show like how a band grows and progresses on their live show and all that. So uh, a record that is exactly like the first record, but live with a DVD attached to it, I was like sold. Like I just immediately bought it. And that was what kind of like really got me into her. And for, for from that point on, I mean, anything she releases, I immediately get, whether it's, you know, a new album, a new EP, or even the singles that she's released on soundtracks and stuff like that. Like I'm, I'm just, she's become one of those artists. She's, she's become one of those like Fiona Apple artists to me where it's like, if she releases something, I'm getting it. Like it doesn't, you know, I'm, it's going to be good. You know, she hasn't released anything bad yet, you know? Uh, and so, yeah, so I feel like Corinne Bailey Ray is kind of ascended to be one of those, one of those very special artists for me that I really, really get into. And I, I really hope that some people listening to this kind of, you know, see the same thing. And, and once again, I want to bring it back to that painting analogy where it's like, really, the more you listen to her and the more you find out about her, the better it gets. And I think that's something that you can't really, you can't really set aside with her. If you just play a record or if you, you know, cause I feel like a lot of people, their method of music now is, is Spotify and just random. They just pick a radio station. And it just plays out of order and whatever. And you, you know, I know this sounds like old man talk, but you, you can't do that with Corinne Bailey Ray. You have to listen to the record. You have to play it from front to back because there's so much going on there that you don't get if you just listen to the hit and then, you know, another hit from another record right after it. And then, you know, a, 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 a Alicia Keys song thrown in the middle because it's Spotify and it's playing it on radio. You know, it, it just, it doesn't work that way with her. You have to really listen to it 
in the way that she intended to it. So, so please, if you, if you at all liked any of the music that you heard today, you know, definitely you know, there's only three records. Like it's really easy to get into her. You don't have to, it's not like Tori Amos where there's like 20 odd records and all of them, you know, are ridiculous and over the top. Like this is a very easy artist to, to, to get into and become a fan of. So, so I really hope that people get more into Corinne Bailey Ray because she's just, she's just awesome. Please visit our website at www.skippedonshuffle.com for more news about other episodes and our upcoming schedule. We are also on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Please visit skippedonshuffle.com for links to all of our social media pages.